Over 80% of Portugal identifies as Roman Catholic, and traditions such as Santo Cristo and the Miracle of Fatima are significant to their culture. Enrique Braga has been active in Winnipeg's Portuguese Catholic Church for most of his life. Enrique comes onto Utah to explain these Portuguese traditions. And in light of unmarked graves discovered at residential school sites, and the Every Child Matters movement, the efforts of Winnipeg's Portuguese Catholic churches in working with indigenous communities. Let's get into it. Yeah, I started at a very young age. Um, the uh, attending um, activities with my father. My father loved to uh, do some of the social events at the church. He was uh, a choir member. Um, I would go with him. I would sing along with him. It actually helped me with the Portuguese because all the songs were in Portuguese and you learn <laughs> the language when you're actually singing the song. Um, and, you know, as, as the, the church evolved, the community evolved, they needed a bigger place. We were using Sacra Church on Bannatine. It's now just a school. It used to be the church. And um, we had a, a pastor who came along um, who, who was actually from India, from, from Goa. But again, it was a Portuguese state at the time, and so he learned Portuguese. Um, and then he came to support our, our, our church, uh, Monsignor uh, Fernandez. So as a kid, um, I just loved to participate, and I wanted to be part of that. But when they transformed and, and ended up in the area we are right now, it happened to be three blocks away from my house. So I was really, really close. And so whenever there was a need for something, I would get a call and say, Henry, come down here, check it out, we need you. Um, so I think for almost four years, I was in church every day. To the point that I think some people thought I was gonna be a priest, but I never ended up really going on with that calling. Um, and and I, you know, there was something about it that, again, the soup kitchen was there. Um, we try to help as many people as possible. Um, we try to bring a lot of events together through the church um, and really bring the Portuguese community together. It was a, it was a really good gathering, uh, religion aside, but it was a really good gathering of bringing the Portuguese together to a common purpose, and it was really powerful. Well, I mean, for a lot of people, church has that kind of community, that moment, like, for myself, although I'm not religious anymore, I have fond memories of, like, the potlucks after uh, church, everyone coming together, you know, talking about, you know, how their week went, what they're looking forward to, and of course, sharing all the different foods and things that people bring in. Yeah, religion is complicated, but one thing it did do is it often brought people together, and it, it, and it was something about bringing community together. So uh, the, the Catholic Church really did um, initially really tried to work through that and really bring the, the community together as much as possible. Santa Cristo and something about Fatima. Um, how about you just, let's start with the Fatima. Like um, when Paulo was describing the story of like these three children, you know, what is that all about? Often known as the miracle of Fatima. And so um, it, back in 1918, of course, these three children who are, are sheep herders and they're just kind of doing their thing. Uh, and again, a very poor part of Portugal, a very, very poor part of Portugal. Um, and they were just doing what they were doing. They, they, they really didn't anticipate. Um, and then all of a sudden, an image appeared to them. Uh, which scared the heck out of them, obviously. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what is this ghost-like looking thing? Yeah. Um, and and she really wanted to, I think, uh, touch the hearts of these really young and innocent children. Um, and, and an understanding that there were so many hardened people, they would probably just ran away. They actually accepted it. They actually were part of that. And, and the awe was, was really, really heartfelt. 
But then they were messengers and they became messengers uh, to the world. Of course, we were going through a pretty nasty war at the time. And, uh, and she spoke of it and spoke about trying to bring peace. Uh, Fatima is known as the, um, the Mary. There's a lot of apparitions in the world. Uh, Fatima is just one of them. But Mary of, of trying to bring peace to the world and really emphasizing the prayer of the rosary again. Um, it, it was a tradition. A lot of people prayed it, but she really, really felt that, you know, get together with families, do some prayer together, and that will bring peace to the world. And, and if we forget to do that, if we're not part of that, um, then we're going to see sort of the chaos um, that, that was instilling in what we saw within the world wars. Um, and, and that message was a kind of a hard sell. Those kids went through a real hard time. Uh, they were imprisoned um, at, at a very young age. Um, the governors were really not happy with this because they were they, they, they had accumulated this this gathering. People were just coming from nowhere. Well, every and time you have someone that talks about divinity, like there's always going to be pushback, like with uh, Joan of Arc and everything e- like that. Exactly. Yeah. So they're like, what? What? Seriously? I don't know. This is who's talking here. You know, is yeah. this is this divinity or something else going on here? Type of thing. Yeah. So it was very difficult for them. They they went through a lot to to get their message out. Uh, but despite the what the government and even the church, I mean, the church tried to dissuade them as well and say, you know, you guys are just pulling our leg. Don't do this. As you don't you don't play with these kinds of things. And, and you know, and they they continued. So this miracle, which uh, Extended right there several times that she appeared to these these children from May thirteenth to October thirteenth, um, and and what happens is that the Portuguese have then decided to mark those days. So on May thirteenth, which is this Saturday, they definitely um, want her to come out, um, and so we often put her on a on a pedestal and carry her through some of the streets. It's usually in the evening with candlelight. Um, and, and again, an understanding peacefulness comes from that candlelight. Um, and if you actually Google it and go to Fatima in Portugal, you will see the candlelight. It's just a very, very fascinating. I think sometimes in the area, they get about a million people who kind of show up and, and with this candlelight. So again, prayer for peace, and this is what they do. But it also falls in a, another event that we have in the weekend, which is Sio Santo Cristo. Yeah. And it is, and that tradition is specifically to the island of San Miguel. Now, others in the islands already are part of that, but it's very interesting, and there's a, there's a legend around that whole thing. But the convent that's there really wanted to, um, you know, get everybody to understand that this, this, this bust that was kind of brought to them uh, and getting the Pope at the time to sort of acknowledge this thing as not just a, um, a bust, but, you know, some sort of relic or of some sorts that actually have importance. And since then, it has been a tradition. Same idea where there are, are masses, but then it comes out uh, this once a year type of thing to the masses and basically uh, remind them. Now, we are in the Easter season uh, still um, within... Um, you know, from Easter until Pentecost, we, we keep celebrating the Easter season. But on this, I believe it's the sixth Sunday, he comes out again, a reminder of, hey, yes, we can enjoy Easter. It's the uh, great and all that kind of stuff. But remember, I still had to go through this suffering piece, <laughs> you know. And so if you actually take images and look at images of this particular um, bust, it is a, a tormented bust. Like you can see his grief in 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 yes. in the bust, and um, and the blood is still coming down from from the the crown of thorns, um, but at the same time he's ordained with all these wonderful capes, 
And, and traditionally back in, in San Miguel, these capes came from royalty. They came from governments. They came from an acknowledgement that he is our king. And that's why they kind of do this. It's not just, hey, we're going to go flaunt this thing. We're going to go around yeah. there. No, it's an understanding that he is our king. Um, and he was crowned for that. Not necessarily a typical crown. Yeah. But he was. And so we show that. We, we go out there. And, and that's what the, the sisters of the, of the convent in which he, he stays, because he, he's not in a church, he's in the convent. Um, that, and that's their message. They really do want everybody to understand that, you know, let's not Easter eggs. <laughs> you know, it's not those kinds of things. Yeah. And and he is our king for the suffering that he did. Well, for people outside of Catholicism, kind of the, the pageantry and like the attire and everything seems a little weird at times. Can you just explain a little bit about, you know, kind of the traditions and practices? Why all these garbs? Why all these items? This extra effort put into it sort of thing. Well, you've noticed, and this is an actually interesting question, because just last week we had the uh, coronation of King Charles. And what did you see? You know, what we saw is these big, massive capes and uh, uh, the scepters and uh, those kinds of things and adorned with certain jewelry and those kinds of things. And you'd think, why then would the Catholics do this? Or why would this specific group of Catholics do that? And, and again, what they're really trying to, to tell everybody is that uh, we want people to understand he is our king. And often kings do have these, these you know, the, the, the clothing that comes with it or the scepter that comes with it. And, we, and those, those scepters and all those things have uh, importance in royalty, right? They're, they're, those things mean that somehow you have some... Uh, command, or you, you, you have yeah. some authority and you have some power. And so, so the, the, the tradition really wanted people to realize or understand that, that Jesus is authority. Um, and, and, and so once a year, we bring him out in that glory uh, to kind of show that, that authority. It's a very different interpretation than you have from Anabaptists or Protestants that generally depict Jesus more as like, the carpenter, workman, the everyday Joe sort of idea. And it's not that we don't. Uh, we understand his, his, his humble beginnings, right, and from, from who he was um, taking on uh, a role that, you know, only him and his mother really understood. Um, and, and yet at the same time, we talk about him as our king. And and so it, it's again it's it is really once a year that this is done. It's not that we go showboat him all the time, <laughs> um, but I think it's that reminder again of hey he is our king. And again, here are some of the things that we um, as humans understand to be king. Uh, so it's not that we think that this is how he's <laughs> he's standing up there in heaven yes. with these uh, you know golden ordained and all that kind of stuff. That's not necessarily how we believe it's there. But it's a a symbol that we can offer to the people. That we truly believe that he is king, and and honored in that way at least once a year. The potential controversy that might take place. I guess just what are the efforts that the Catholic Church, at least the ones that you're around in, you know, working with indigenous communities. You're in the North End, going around, and it hasn't been too long since the uh, Every Child Matters thing has started, as well as the uh, potential graves that were discovered and the more we've found. And that's become very difficult in initially to accept 
um, but it's also very difficult for us as a community. The Portuguese community wasn't necessarily aware of those things. They're immigrants and they came in, so we weren't necessarily aware of those things. And so a lot of it right now is learning. And so we're spending a lot of time trying to teach truly what, what has happened and that it is truthful um, because there is still people who want to deny that it even occurred. Uh, and it's, it's, it's been hard, but, but we are working towards getting people to understand this actually did occur and, and uh, we have to reconcile uh, for this. Uh, the, the church, because it's located um, in the North End, not too far away from Selkirk and Main Street, um, has always had a soup kitchen. It's always wanted there to be supportive. Um, we try to s- support some of the houses around the area. Um, the, there's um, shelters and those kinds of things. So the church is, is trying to, to, um, to support and help people um, through this process. Um, but as an ethnic church, it's a little bit more difficult because, like I said, there's a real big learning curve for them to understand exactly what has happened. Uh, And even our pastors are not necessarily from the area. Um, Our our pastor right now is actually from Brazil, in which, again, they they weren't aware of some of these things. So they've had to learn. And the bishop has worked really hard at at teaching them. So it's kind of a, a growing period right it's now. It's very much a growing period. Uh, on, on one side of it, I know the diocese is really trying to work through a lot of the other pieces as well, um, and they're working through that. It's in the media, you know, that that's going on there. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's uh, events that are horrific. These are events that that are unfathomable. And, uh, but we also know that within the Catholic Church, there are a lot of really good people who would never have thought of doing this, right? So it becomes hard. Is it the church <laughs> or is it some people of the church? Um, and it's, it's just hard then because everybody wants to, well, no, it's the church because, you know, either there was a denial initially or whatever that may be. We all have to somehow take responsibility for it. Um, and help the, this process of reconciliation. Um, but like I said, when you're not aware of it, um, you have, it's a learning curve. Kind of taking those moments, understanding the history and moving forward from there, seeing like, hey, yes, these atrocities took place. Let's work together now, right? Help each other out. Uh, you have the soup kitchen and continuing to build community, right? And that's that's what we're trying to do, is is to continue trying to build that community. Uh, so walk me through what this weekend is going to look like. What does this procession look like? And you mentioned it takes place over like a, a couple of days, like during that like Easter to Pentecost sort of time. Yeah. So Easter is obviously Easter and is a big celebration within the church and it's in itself just Easter. Mm-hmm. And then we do continue celebrating Easter Sundays. Um, up until this weekend, where um, the Sionsanto Cristo, the Christ, is prepared. So he's actually placed in a separate place outside of the church, where he's actually prepared, just like the king was. He went to a different place, got himself all dazzled up, and then he was presented to the public. So that's kind of how we do that, too. We actually present him to the public by coming out of a an area in which he's been prepared. There's the tradition is that we actually knock on the door and ask permission to come in and have him come out. So, so we really actually do that. This year, his mother Mary will actually be part of the knocking on the door and having him come out. So it'll be the first time that the two images will be in procession together, uh, son and mother. So that's going to be quite special in in many different ways. Um, 
it's it is very religious and so as he comes out there is a procession it's a solemn procession um we do have our band playing um music and we will light candles as well this time around uh, at the same time because mary will be there um, and then we'll proceed into the church where there's going to be a solemn mass and in that mass we have a, a, a pastor or a priest who's prepared homilies pretty well all week he started on wednesday anybody wanted to come and listen to that and then he culminates with two big masses which is the one on saturday and then the one on sunday in the afternoon and the one on Saturday, again, is that whole opening of here is, and the presentation here is our king type of thing. Um, and he will then be placed on the altar um, while that ceremony is going on. That evening, um, because we are a social group, uh, there will also be some activities in our, our hall. And so we've got a, a singer, we've got Portuguese food, anybody wants to come out and have some uh, Pity Pity Chicken, I think you guys have heard this before. So that roasted chicken that we have that's pretty famous, uh, our beef fana, which is a beef sa- a pork sandwich, sorry, um, and then a variety of different things. So people gather uh, for, for the event, only to return on Sunday for the actual big solemn mass. And in, after that mass, he comes out again. And the procession's a little longer, so we actually will take probably about 45 minutes to an hour out in procession. For the Portuguese community, um, sort of events like this, I'm assuming like events and traditions like this are incredibly important then. They're incredibly important, and this is where you you hear the stories of when, you know, it's kind of like, when I was, you know, and it's like, (laughs) wow, yeah, okay, that's that's cool. Uh, A lot of history, um, a lot of stories of tradition, this is where I heard it because the people gather. Um, there, there isn't a lot of written stuff in Winnipeg about some of that history. Um, a lot of the Portuguese people who came to Canada at the time weren't the strongest literate people either, so they weren't writing books or anything like that. But we heard these stories by these gatherings, and we would sit down and listen to everybody, and uh, it was actually quite, quite nice. A lot of the what I know is actually attending these things. I also love... Um, traditional folklore and and the folk music because um, I play a few instruments and that's where I learned how to play some of these things and now they ask me to come to participate and you know so I went from this learning phase to now they've asked me to be there and uh, and perform for them so it's a, it's a great place to c- to continue with our culture you'll see um, folk dancers, you'll see singers, um, playing of different instruments, um, and just, again, maintaining and keeping those traditions alive. So this procession would be very different from one you might see out in Rome. Yeah, I mean, back in in the island where this is from, it's a much larger one. The amount of people will be just astronomically more, um, and everything's outside, right? So you you, you still have the, 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 the gathering. People still want to gather, and they'll still gather there. Um, I've been there to watch some of those gatherings as well. And again, those traditions continue and then they have to pass it down to the younger people too, even there. So, right. And, and so they do, but it's all usually outside as opposed to indoors. We're very finicky weather out here. You know, I mean, just, we just finally got to the 20. So (laughs) this is, this is why we kind of do that indoors. We've tried it outdoors before, but again, May can be really interesting. We can have snow. You never know what you're going to get. So cross your fingers, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you, Henry, for taking the time to share a little bit about this practice, this tradition. I know it was very interesting just seeing the video of what it is. And from someone outside of it, it's like, wow, 
what is this? And it's good to know sort of the background and the understanding behind it as well, because at the surface, it's like, what? This is not Jesus. <laughs> like, Jesus doesn't do this. And, and again, it's not necessarily um, you know, the concept of Jesus is being ordained in this way, or, or it isn't. We understand that, that, that humble man um, who is God at the same time. But yeah, once a year, he's our king. And we're going we're gonna to tell everybody. Have any stories you'd like us to share? Communities we should highlight? Leave a comment on our social media or reach out to us on our website. I'm Ryan Funk. This was You Talk. And have yourself a good one.